Hi everyone, I'm David Blindauer, and welcome to Conversation with a Manager, Stories from the Frontline. This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that managers, particularly frontline managers, are key to an organization's success. This podcast is also in search of the best advice and counsel from experienced managers for anyone who's new to the role of manager. Today's guest is Becky Kurgan. Here were some thoughts on her discussion with Becky is today's host, Betsy Hagen. Thanks, David. I had the opportunity recently to speak with Becky Kurgan, a leader with 25 plus years experience at one of the biggest healthcare companies in the world. Like most senior leaders, Becky has seen her fair share of organizational change, driven by everything from roller coaster economic conditions to ever morphing regulatory requirements to amazing innovations in medicine and technology. She's led teams big and small through both simple and highly complex changes and learned a lot of lessons along the way. In particular, I wanted to talk to her about one of the biggest challenges managers often face during times of change. That is, navigating what you can and can't say to your employees about what's going on and how you keep the team focused on positive outcomes. We had a great conversation, and here are some of my favorite excerpts. Well, and the roller coaster gets really hard and like stuck when you're in a leadership position and decisions are being made, huge decisions, and you can't share why. How have you handled that? Like, that's a reality, right? As managers, sometimes we are privy to information that we are- A lot of information. Right. We are told we cannot share. And yet we know that people are suspecting or they're they're talking about it. It's intimated in some way, shape or form. And so it's it's kind of like you people are asking you direct questions that actually you could answer with a yes or no, but you can't. How have you how how have you dealt with that? And and uh, what are some what's any advice that you would give to managers and like so experiencing that? Yeah, typically what I'll do like when people it, it it depends on the situation typically on what it is and you know I can think of one recent example where there was a decision made that affected customers and folks didn't agree with it and there were reasons by and I I couldn't say. I know why we're doing what we're doing. And quite frankly, there's going to be a left turn coming and I can't tell you about it. And so, you know, people would come and be like, why are we doing this? And da, 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 da. And I would reiterate the message that was delivered by the most senior leaders. It, it is critical when decisions are being made, if they can't be shared, you just have to deliver that message. You cannot you can't because that's what's going to then cause chaos in your organization. Just stick to the message and share it. What you can do, however, different than just that, and this is what I do, is I look at my team and I say, however, guys, my expectation is we have a plan B, C, and D. So you tell me, if we end up going this other direction, what are we going to do? If we go out this direction, what are we going to do? And if we go this direction, what do we do? Oh, and P.S., by the way, I typically will throw one of the scenarios that I think might happen as one of those things that like, let's just be prepared just in case. And now I have a plan. Um, and so I kind of try to work it around that way um, or at least get generate ideas and things to address how it might go if I can't share too much. But I just start digging and planning on my own and having the team just start thinking what if this happened? What if this happened? What if this happened? 
And guys, I would just tell them, I need you because I think of these things and they scare me because I think, oh my gosh, they're going to break something, but I don't know what they're going to break. And so I need you to please tell me if these things happened, what would break? And they come with many of things like, oh shit, Becky, if we did this, we're, this is going to break and this is going to break. And then I go, I'm like, oh my God, what do we do? And, you know, we come up with a plan and there's a lot of urgency behind it. And so I don't know, it just, it works for me. So it kind of reminds me of, you know, um, the, the book that Steve King wrote, you know, Preventions and Contingencies. Yes. And we teach that to new managers as part of their thinking about the whole work system and how they manage the work system on a day-to-day basis. But, you know, I, I really do believe that a lot of times we don't do contingency planning. Like we do it sort of like this disaster level, like, okay, what happened? Yes. You know, a hurricane hit. Right, exactly. We do it at the most extreme level. Yep. But what you just have sort of like reminded me is, is that that idea of looking at contingency plans is so important as big changes happening within the organization. That's, I think it's one of the most important times for managers to sort of dust off the how are things working. And this can be, uh, you know, whether a, a change is planned and sort of, you know, um, telepa- telegraphed to people that it's coming or it's unplanned change and you just find yourself in the middle of a, a big monumental situation that's sort of change the dynamic or change some major aspect that's got everybody sort of in a, in a state, that that's a great time to to even just start the practice of contingency planning, talking. It's, it's, uh, it's a good uh, management technique, but it's also just good supportive technique in helping people see it's okay to think about all of the possibilities yes. of what can happen and just thinking about if then this is what we would do if then this is what we would do yes. and that i think that's a great piece of advice and not one that we uh, that not one that we think when we when we think about how we uh, support people during change but that contingency planning process in and of itself can be supportive especially people that are very I don't know if you feel the same way, but it, it, a very people who are very like um, tied to their process, you know, like they are very that they they do certain kinds of work and they do it in the same way over and over and over again, and they feel very comforted by that repetitiveness, that predictability of it. That the contingency planning process can help them sort of feel like they are not victims of the change, but rather being able to do something which aids them they they had the plan if that and they buy it i'm telling you i call this through in my innovation sessions i I call this two things um i call it loving your negative nancy's (laughs) and then i also call it embracing the dark side which is okay guys this could possibly be coming oh no tell me all the reasons why they won't it won't work I want to know all of them because trust me, those are the people. They're going to tell you every damn reason why it can't be done. And then I look at them and I go, okay, so this could happen to us. We could be the victim of this. Let's start solving these problems because what if? And and again, it's like 
it, it has always worked really well for me because it's like giving folks a task to problem solve on something before it's a problem. And so it helps them with their problem solving skills, not during a crisis. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that way it's like, you know, we talk about problem solving and we talk about, shoot, I could teach a day on problem solving. Um, and I always just think like, as you're hoping and and developing your team to be much better problem solvers, why not look at all the things that could possibly go wrong in your organization and just have those people start focusing on those? It's a great way to have contingency plans. It's a great way to dig into your process to see if there's other things that you need to do. And again, you're being proactive with your processes. Finally, I asked Becky to share her experiences with people who are really resistant to change and what might help. This individual had worked at the company for 30 years, okay? She was in charge of training for one of these organizations and then she got rolled under me. And while we were working together, there was a humongous initiative that went on at work. The FDA came in and the roles that we were in had to become certified pharmacy technicians. And I don't know if you've ever had to try to be a certified pharmacy technician, but it's not easy. You have to like study 300 drugs, brand to generic. You have to know the dosing. You have to know the side effects, the contradictions. I mean, all of those things. Um, You had to do math. Now, I know I could do the math. It's fairly easy math. But you know what? Not everybody's good at math. And so she was having none of it. I mean, kicking and screaming. Just this is, you know, she would not jump on board. And I finally just sat down with her. Like we went to lunch and I was like, I can just tell this isn't sitting right with you. I'm like, just talk to me about what's going on. And she said, I'm scared to death. She was scared to death that she was going to, she was going to lose her job. She wasn't going to be able to be certified. She'd worked at the company for 30 years. She loved her job. She did not understand her job wasn't changing. So why did she have to do this? She was scared to death. She just started bawling and was just, and I just said, I knew she was not acting herself. Something wasn't right. Something wasn't connecting. And so I just asked, like, and it wasn't what's wrong with you. It was, I noticed that you're very stressed lately or something seems to be off. Talk to me. I don't want you to be unhappy. I want to understand what's stressing you out. Maybe I can help you. And so then she shared all of that with me. And then we talked. I said, well, what do you think could help? I didn't offer, like, I didn't say like, well, let's get you some tutorials and I'm going to give, I'll give you an extra hour after class. I literally was like, whatever you need, whatever you need. If you need extra hours to study with a group of people, we can help try to get a study group together. If you think this, do you need more supplies? I can, Baxter, I can see if you need extra a brand new calculator, I don't know, whatever it was. Um, And then she felt much more, she would come to me all the time and be like, I don't understand this. And it's interesting because she's a trainer. So you'd think she would just naturally come to me and be like, I'm not getting it, but it doesn't even matter the role you're in. So that's another thing to keep track of is you may have people who are like high performance. They've done their job. They know when they start acting like something's off, something's off. Read the Go with your gut. The worst thing that you could happen, you ask the question, I feel like something's off lately and I'm and I'm worried about you and I just want to make sure everything's okay. Yeah. And I think so, uh, you know, so many times we are, 
we want to sort of maintain this level of professional problem solving. And so we're like, okay, so here's the five things that you need to do something differently. But that doesn't always address the fear factor that people feel. And that is what causes sometimes the stress. And it, it very to your point, I think uh, you have to uh, see people, um, recognize that if their tone or the way that they're acting or their body language or whatever seems different, that there might be a reason for that. And um, your job is to help them, to give them a place to talk about it yeah. um, without forcing them into, you know, you're not, you're not doing therapy, but you're it's- not forcing them to, to talk about something that's upsetting to them, but you are giving them the space to convey Everything from I'm frustrated to uh, all the way through, I'm actually kind of fearful of what could happen um, through this change. And I, I think that's, it's an art, not a science, as we, um, as we get better and better at leading people. Well, and Betsy, it's funny, you just said like, at, when you made that comment, I was like, oh my God, and I even say that. Like, oftentimes, if there's a big change coming, I will say to my team, I know change can be scary. We can all be afraid, but we'll all be afraid together because we're all in it together. This podcast is supported by NRECA, the National Trade Association representing America's electric cooperatives. NRECA's broad range of products and services include a robust portfolio of leadership programs that provide learners with the knowledge, skills, and resources they need to lead at all levels of their co-op and succeed in today's rapidly changing electric utility industry. Visit cooperative.com learning to explore the value of learning with NRECA. So Betsy, what were some of the highlights from your conversation with Becky? Yeah, I think overall, uh, Becky reinforced this idea that there's a dilemma that managers often find themselves in when managing change. And I think she highlighted these three, what I would call truths that every manager needs to kind of square up with in order to provide guidance and support to individuals or teams, you know, as they're going through change. Um, So first, I thought as much as, you know, we may or may not agree with the changes that are happening within an organization, that we as managers have to respect any boundaries that are set for us about what we can and can't say. Um, and But we still have to approach the questions or concerns from employees with as much transparency and certainly as much empathy as possible. And I think her point about focusing on like the actions that individuals and teams can take to be prepared for a variety of outcomes is really smart because it gets people feeling out of that mode of just, I'm a victim of all of this too. I actually can participate in it and do as much as I can to prepare for it. Second, I really appreciated her perspective on this idea of like leaning into the most resistant employees um, as a way to really understand and acknowledge to them, right? The potential pitfalls that any change might bring and work with it through the frame of problem solving, um, and by some extent of that, possibly coming up with 
sort of your advocacy agenda that you as a manager may have to take back up to the people that are leading change or that are sponsoring the change to say, you know, you, this, these are some things that maybe you hadn't thought about that you really need to consider because they are going to have impact or they may have some negative impact even in the short term or maybe the long term. That that becomes your advocacy agenda. So I, th- I thought her points on that were really um, impactful. And then finally, and maybe the most important, I thought her insight, um, just as a reminder to us that very often the resistance to change is actually deeply rooted in someone's fear. That could be like what she talked about, fear of being able to learn something new, um, fear of just looking stupid, right? And also I think the fear of, you know, I've, by my ability to be able to do something, I felt and, and experienced like I, that I was important. And so by changing that is somehow I'm going to be less important. Um, and I think uh, her willingness in her story, you know, to really approach that resistance with empathy, as we talked about before, but also creating that sort of condition for psychological safety or safe space, right? Just for people to talk about what they might be fearful of. Um, and, you know, then then work with that um, in terms of how much support you would provide to them and what kind of support. I think that was maybe the most useful lesson that she had learned and, sh- and was able to share with us. Okay, those are some excellent highlights. So let's get started with what should a manager do when they don't necessarily agree with the changes that are going on within an organization? Yeah, you know, I get asked this a lot for managers um, who find themselves in this real dilemma of, I am a recipient of this change and I'm going to react to this change based on how my opinions and my experiences and what I think, how I think it's going to impact me personally. Um, and then I, I must also simultaneously pivot, right, and become an agent of this change. I need to represent the change because by taking on the responsibility of being a manager, I am, in many ways, representing the organization and representing the change. And this can be really difficult for managers to do. My my number one piece of advice, my advice is, is that, you know, as managers, we need to try to separate those two things and put some distance between those two things. So what I mean by that is as we're reacting to the change, uh, don't immediately pivot and begin talking to your um, employees or your team because your reaction, maybe how you're personally taking it, it may not be the best reaction for you to begin to communicate about it. I've had to have conversations with managers in the past who have kind of walked from one meeting into a team meeting and be like, you're not going to believe what they're going to do, right? Which immediately sets the tone. It immediately actually creates this condition for people to think make possibly negatively about the change. Um, and so, you know, what I say is, look, Deal with your own reaction to the change and actually how you should be dealing with it is through your manager, not your team. And then once you believe that you have been able to convey what you need to convey about how you feel about that change or your perception of the change, or your opinion on the change, then you need to figure out how do I create a neutral message about what that change is and how do I get to that neutral place? And sometimes it may take some time and some support from your boss to do that or your colleagues to do that. But you don't want to bring that into your team because there's just that potential for 
I call it sort of poisoning the well, right, of um, people's perception of what the change would be. So there was something that you highlighted earlier in regards to the manager being an advocate. And I, I'm curious, could you extrapolate on what the notion of being an advocate is? Yeah. So if we think about it, managers have three prime, I think, three primary roles, right, in supporting people through change. The first is, and foremost, is communication, right? They need to communicate effectively and they're involved in most aspects of communication when change is going on. The second, though, is one, the, the, the role that they play is one that I don't think gets talked about very much, but it, it's there. And that is the, the, the uh, role of advocate. And what I mean by that is, is that a manager very often by proximity to their employees uh, has a greater depth of understanding about the impact of the change and how employees are reacting to that change than the people who are leading the change sometimes. It's certainly sponsoring the change. And so... Uh, Sometimes it's up to us as managers to make that translation happen. And so sometimes advocate back into uh, that group of people that are leading the change to let them know how people are responding, but also the things that they need. So a really simple example of that, David, is, you know, a, a change is going on in an organization. Let's say there's an implementation of a new system or technology that's happening. And part of it is um, part of the change effort has a training aspect to it. The manager sees that the the employees are struggling coming out of training to be able to utilize the technology. The manager is going to be the one who's going to translate that back up into the group that's responsible for leading the change to let them know, hey, we need more training here. The training that we had was insufficient or wasn't good enough for people to be able to do what they need to do. That's an advocacy agenda item. And that's, if we think about it, it can be everything from things like what is missing in the support of the change. But very often it's about how people are responding and reacting to change so that those that leading our change are understanding the actual impact, but also can do things like adjust communications or add additional communications information. You know, where do where do the people who are sponsoring or leading the change understand what kind of questions are going to be asked? That usually happens because the managers are telling them these are the kinds of questions that we're getting. Lastly, you mentioned something about psychological safety and the conditions for psychological safety. So how would you go about creating an environment where in which the conditions for psychological safety are built into the community? Yeah, so I'm not an expert in this. And when I talk about this, I, I love this term because I think um, even if we don't have a definitive, um, you know, way to define what that actually means, we we can interpret, right, what it means to us. And in general, I think it is that environment where people have some trust that they can share something that may they may consider to be, you know, a vulnerability for themselves, like what they're afraid of. And that in that moment, that condition that you've created, they understand that it's a safe space for them to say something that maybe they are uncomfortable to say, or maybe that they have 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 uh, would not have normally said in other situations, right? That it hasn't happened to that point that they have needed, right, to express something like this is what I'm really afraid of. And so, as managers, we we don't want to to create conditions where we're sort of like, so what are you afraid of, right? We're not trying to bully people into sharing how they're feeling. 
But what we're trying to do is to, through empathy, really through understanding, look, I understand that this is a big change for you. I understand that there's a lot going on here. I understand that this could feel overwhelming. I want to understand how best to support you. What are some of the things that you can share with me that would help me understand what I can do for you, right? And that's what I mean by just creating some space for people to maybe be able to share something like a vulnerability or a fear that they are having, right, about the change that's going on. Maybe they they wouldn't have necessarily done if you hadn't set that condition in place. And with that, we conclude this episode of Conversation with a Manager. If you enjoyed this podcast and feel like others could learn from it as well, feel free to share it with your friends or colleagues. And a big thank you to our guest, Becky Kurgan, for sharing some of her personal experiences as a manager. Support for this podcast comes from NRECA, the National Trade Association representing America's electric cooperatives. Driven by member feedback and engagement, NRECA's mission is to be the trusted resource, champion the cause, and inspire the future of the industry. 